good evening, depending on what time you are listening to this. Welcome to the CMA Podcast Daily Reading of the Bible. This is a little bit of commentary on Genesis 9 um, that I wanted to add in uh, for the evening time. Uh, but if you, you just happen to be listening to this in the morning, well, good morning, welcome. I hope you've had your coffee, um, because coffee is distinctly American. All tea should be thrown into the Boston Harbor. Um, today is uh, still January 10th, and um, yeah, I'm the chaplain for the Bloomington, Illinois chapter of the Christian Motorcycle Association, and I want to talk about Genesis 9 a little bit. Now, obviously, we read all of it. The first half of Genesis 9 starts off with, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, fill, uh, and now it says, be fruitful, multiply. That's like the first main nugget. Um, the earth needs people. Um, so <laughs> fill it, fill the earth. Um, this obviously is against um, a lot of the uh, like global warming, um, very environmentalist kind of people because um, the people are literally saying that humans are killing the earth, but it's like the earth was made for people. Like the earth was made for man. So um, it's kind of uh, backwards thinking saying like, Oh, we need, we're the reason why the earth is the way it is. But at the same time, we need to stop having people. We need to stop having children. But at the same time we, we need, uh, it's, it's, it's just a backwards way of thinking. We need to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Um, I, I saw this, uh, doc, I saw this little photo, um, and you can fit the entire population of, <laughs> you can fit the entire population. I want to say in the world, I, I think it's just the United States. You can fit the entire population of the United States inside of Texas. I'm not saying that it's going to be comfortable. I'm not saying that humans need elbow room. Humans need elbow room. And I'm, I'm a, I'm all about having as many kids as humanly possible. Um, I think that God, I think that, that obedience will bless you. And I think that God will meet you where you are as, uh, as, as in, in your obedience. The second thing, literally the second verse talks about the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. When you put your foot in a lake and the fish run away, that is God's command. When you go out to go pet a deer because you really want to, <laughs> you really want to pet a deer, that is God's command. When be when bears, uh, and I've seen several things online of people that say all the time, like, oh, bears are just giant dogs that are territorial. And there is some, I think there is a token of that. Now, people who haven't obviously seen a bear in real life have no idea on how tr terrifying bears actually are. But imagine a world without that fear. Imagine if a bear was just like, oh, just another, just another animal, just another creature. And you could pet a, a bear, right? And you could... And just imagine that world. That world is coming. I mean, it is, it's something that's happening. But the fear of you and the dread of you is something upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Um, the, nature is afraid of you. And that is God's design. 
it has not evolved, it hasn't changed out of creatures. And this is where we get the concept of, to a certain degree, this is the seed of <clears throat> of the survival of the fittest. Is this fear, is this concept that, that is outlined in the Bible, Genesis 9-2. Every moving living, every moving thing that lives will be food for you. This is a new edict that has been changed. <laughs> we weren't sitting here um, eating animals. We were. Uh, we have the capacity for it, obviously, but at in Eden, right? You had the question, right? Okay, so if we were in the Garden of Eden, um, you know, were all the animals vegetarians? I've heard that before, and the answer is no, um, because if lions can't die because there's no sin, then why would he eat? Why would a lion need to eat if he can't die? So, in Eden, there was no sin in the world, there was no death. Sin equals death. So, why would a lion need to eat to begin with? Because lions are biologically made to eat meat alone. They are carnivores. Lions were not eating other animals because there was no death before death yet. So it is kind of a funny concept and also a kind of a terrifying concept. If you think about Adam um, sinning, okay, and then God kicks him out of Eden. And the first time that he ever sees a lion consume another animal. I mean, how terrifying that would be as like a band-aid ripped off. This is your sin. This is what you've done. I mean, just how terrifying that would be. And so then uh, the Bible kind of moves on, says, um, now the distinction is really important, okay, that God puts here. This is where we also get the law for cannibalism. Everything, all moving thing that lives shall be food for you as I gave you green plants I give you everything but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast I will require it and from man from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So, so do we believe in the death penalty? Absolutely. This is a biblical concept. Whoever kills a man, whoever murders man, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, murder for murder, if a man sheds the blood of a man, we as men have the obligation to put that man to death because that is what he has done in eye for an eye, right? For God made man, and the reason why, why do we do that? Why are we in this position, pro-death um, penalty for murder? I can't believe I have to even um, describe the reason why, but the reason why is because man is sacred, Man, like, and you go, like, uh, what, well, what about uh, animals? Like, animals, are they sacred? No, because they were not made in God's image. Is God made man in his own image? This is Genesis 9 6. Um, this is a rich verse, I'm telling you. And so, and then goes back to 
He uh, and then the Bible goes back to Genesis nine one essentially, and says, "And you, be fruitful and multiply, e- increase greatly on the earth and multiply it." Um, now, um, in Hebrew, this translation and "and you" could also just be "you," right? So it's like the it's a plural of it's a pluralistic, like it's talking about all of the. Noah and his sons, you go be fruitful and multiply. But it's also the plural version, which anticipates a greater edict, right? Where it's like, this is a foundational point that God is making to everyone who is after this, right? And so what we're trying to say here is essentially this law gets passed down from generation to generation. Noah and his sons were the original... (laughs) Noah and his sons were the original people. Like we've now wiped out everybody, all of Noah's, uh, all of Noah's sons and their wives are now Adam and Eve essentially. Right. And so, so now we all come from Noah, not necessarily Adam and Eve. Um, but Noah, I mean, we all come from Adam and Eve, obviously. Um, but that, that vein of where Noah came from, from Adam and Eve, right. It's like a subcategory. And so, behold, I establish my covenant with you. And so then, here we go. So now we're talking about the covenant. So behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Um, so this is not just this is not just you. This is everyone. So this is my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, let this be a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. And then now we see the sign of the covenant, which is I have set my bow in the clouds, which is a rainbow, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh of the earth. So God's making a promise. And so far, the promise is sustained. I mean, there has never been another flood that has killed every living creature on the earth, right? And so, now, the um, uncomfortable section of this um, thing is that, frankly, when we when we think of uh, the rainbow, we think of the uh, gay pride, um, we think of the gay pride movement. And that's not because I... I th- uh, it's not because of something that I came up with. I'm not the one. I'm just the messenger boy. Um, if if you've been living under a rock for the last 10, 20 years, 
Um, this has been um, a common theme with this, right? And so, and I'm not going to um, um, bash on somebody's sins, right? Now, I will say a couple things. One thing, every time I talk about this, every person talks about, you know, uh, don't judge, uh, uh, do not judge. Um, Now, the judgment that we talk about, um, I want to mention this. Then we talk about this famous Bible verse, the do not judge verse, right, uh, about judgment. Um, Do not judge for you will be judged as harshly as you judge others, right? Now, that concept does not mean um, do not correct, which is what we've kind of established as the ulterior idea of the word judgment, right? And so, first of all, judgment in the Bible is um, towards only believers, right? This concept of judgment, and I might be, I'm not wrong here. I don't think I'm wrong. Someone can find a verse and prove me wrong here, but uh, I'm going to step out on a ledge and I'm going to say that the word judgment typically is for believers, right? And what that means is um, this concept of take the plank out of your eye before you say, hey, you've got a speck in, in the other person's eye, is that it's clearly about hypocrisy and not about correction, right? And this whole concept, and I, I had this conversation with this lady one time, she had this shirt that said, only God can judge me. And I told her, I said, I want to, can I, can I ask you about your shirt real quick? What does your shirt mean? She said, well, it means that only God can judge me. No one can judge me except for God. And I said, doesn't that, does that scare you? And she was like, what does that mean? Like, why would it scare me? God, God is love. And I said, yeah, God is love, meaning that God um, w- would flood the earth because of, you know, Jesus. God is love. Uh, God's love means uh, sending sinful angels to hell. It means sen- sending unbelievers to hell. It means, um, it, it, and that's, and, the, and people think like, oh, that's not love. That's not love. And the thing is that, the, the 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 thing the thing here that people miss is the fact that God even people always say that there's a separation between Old and New Testament God like Old Testament God is this anger wrathful guy and I mean and there is there is a punishment for your sins I mean you do a sin there's a consequence for it and God is saying he, that he is essentially removing the consequence of earthly destruction via flood forever. I mean, he's saying, I will never do this again. I will never flood the earth. And the sign of this covenant, uh, the sign of this covenant is a rainbow. That's where we get the significance of the rainbow. And even in any culture, we get it from this perspective. When I was a kid, my sister had wallpaper that had, you know, this, you know, Noah's Ark all, all across the top of the room. And it was a giant rainbow all the way around. But when we see rainbow these days, we think to ourselves, we think homosexuality. That's just a reality. Gay pride. Right? And I am not struggling with pride. I'm not struggling with gay pride in my life. So, per biblical status, if I were to try to correct somebody about being a homosexual. 
I would also not need to be a homosexual because this is about hypocrisy, not about judgment, right? Let me, let me back up my claims for a moment. 1 Peter 4.17 For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay, so it is saying it is welcoming judgment and judgment is correction. So why would I, as a person, correct a Christian when I'm struggling with sin? How can I correct a homosexual when I'm struggling with pornography? Right? That's, that's a reality. I'm struggling with lust. Homosexuality is merely just lust. That's all it is. It's not a lifestyle. It's not anything. It's just lust. That's all it is. Dwindled down to the bare material elements all it is, is lust. So how can I go up to a homosexual and say, I'm not struggling, I'm struggling with porn, but you need to stop your sin, right? And then we say, oh, gay pride, pride. If I have a pride issue and I have, if I go up to them and I say, and that's the funny thing, right? You see those signs that say like, God hates the F words, right? <laughs> that's pride. And it's funny because they are exhibiting the same thing. That's the hypocrisy. That's why we hate it. That's why when we see that, first of all, it's not love when you say God hates somebody. God hates sin. But the problem is that now in modern day, now in modern day, it's a problem to even say hate the sin, love the sinner. Because then you have to admit that homosexuality is, first of all, worth hating. And second of all, a sin. Right. And so now people have ingrained it so deeply into culture that we've forgotten the original idea of what the Bible says. The only reason why that homosexuality is at all related to this is because they've made the rainbow um, their rally flag, their literal flag. And the reason why I bring this up is I think that the rainbow is the perfect symbol for homosexuality. I think that it's perfect. Because it envelops pride, it envelops lust, it envelops homosexuality, anti-biblical ideas. And this rainbow that God has made is a symbol of the earth's absolute depravity. Now, people, Christians act like, um, Christians act like um, homosexuality is the only sin that exists. People think that, I mean, especially conservative Christians, they think that oh, abortion is the only sin that exists and homosexuality is the only sin that exists. The only reason why it's really um, on the front of people's minds is because it is so culturally relevant and so religiously opposed, right? So it's one of the main things that people are pushing culturally and it's one of the most opposed things in the Bible, right? It's one of them. It's not all that. We don't talk about lying. We don't talk about cheating. We talk about stealing. We talk about murder. We talk about any of that because progressively speaking, we're, we're all progressive liars. Like we're all really good at that. We're all really good at maybe, uh, you know, smudging some numbers here or there and lying and cheating and stealing, right? Coveting, greed, lust, gluttony, 
all of that. We're really good at those things. We don't want to talk about those things. We want to talk about homosexuality, right? When, first of all, as a Christian, you should look at the gay pride and look at yourself in that. And the way that you dis are disgusted by that action, you should be rightfully, first of all, disgusted by the action. But second of all, you should be disgusted with yourself. Because when you look at uh, a gay man and you say, that's disgusting, you are mimicking God's words to you, yourself. And that is the do not judge or you will be judged. But the problem is that we have that verse out of context and we solidify within our minds that correcting somebody and standing up for the basic factless, the fact of the, the reality that the sin is worth correcting is something to be said. I would not, I would not listen to a, a pastor who is a homosexual because that is something that is against, directly against the Bible. And it's not because I have this hatred towards homosexuals. It is because if this person has read the Bible and came out with that, uh, came out without outcome, then how wrong is he about the bare basics of salvation, the gospel, etc.? So, when we see the pride flag, it's it's like this concept of the rainbow was meant for God, right? So when, so essentially speaking, when man by default does his depravity, right? When God sees the depravity of the earth, he sees the rainbow. He says, yep, I made that promise. I made that promise. I'm not going to destroy the earth with the flood again. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. He's looking at this. He's looking at the flood again. He will see it. And it says here, I will remember my covenant when I see it in the clouds. So now the reason why it's so impactful is that we've taken this flag that God says, I will yield. And now we mock God with it. We say, you're not going to do anything about this. We're going to use the thing that you say you won't destroy us with a flood. And we're going to make it our flag. And we're going to walk around. And we're going to have parades. And we're going to parade the fact that you can't destroy us via flood ever again. And we're going to walk. And we're going to put that on everything, everywhere. And we're going to make it everything. And we mock God. And we taunt him by saying, you can't kill us be a flood. You're not going to do it. Go ahead and try. Oh, wait, you can't because you made a promise. And when it's no different, if we as liars, as lustful people did the same thing, it would just be as, just as bad. It would be just as egregious. And to me, I... I just I see this gay pride flag and I see the semblances the 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 parallels between it you know and so anyway I just think that the rainbow flag is the perfect symbol because it is the perfect definition of pride and again this whole conversation is only relevant 
uh, to homosexuality because the homosexuals have made the rainbow about them instead of about humbling themselves and saying, oh, that rainbow is meant to remind us too. That's the reason why God put it in the Bible <laughs> is to remind us of our sin and to remind us and to humble us and to say, you know what, like, I, I see a rainbow up there and I say, thank you, God, for not destroying the earth again. Thank you, God, for keeping your promise. Thank you that God has a sovereignty that he is He's holding, he's waiting. Because the hope of all of this, the hope of the rainbow, was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is made to make us into a new creation through the quickening of the Holy Spirit, moving us into salvation and moving us and and the elect and all of that. And the hope is that Jesus Christ has given us, um, God has given us his sovereignty and given us a way out. And all of us as Christians should be, should look at the gay pride flag, first of all, to look at ourselves and to inventory our sins. Second of all, to understand that perhaps these people are lost and we cannot judge them as harshly. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised when sinners sin. We should be really surprised when they don't sin. When they have a moment of clarity, when they have a moment of godliness, we should celebrate that. We should be like, hey, that's deep. That's, that's important. Press in on that. Because the judgment is when a Christian, when a Christian fails. When a Christian makes a mistake and a Christian needs to be corrected. The important part is finding someone who is either out of it, who has struggled with it, who has been in the mud, who has struggled with that sin, and to send him in his wisdom to that person who has overcome this and to pull him out of it. Instead, we send people with planks in their eye to judge other people and say, hey, you know, you're a bad Christian because you are a liar. And then I and then the guy just the hypocrisy of it all. It's, it's very important. And so anyway, so this is kind of getting a little long-winded. But I just wanted to mention that th this is where a lot of this stuff comes from. Is that when you see the gay pride flag, remember your sins. And remember that they are lost. And if you know a gay Christian and you don't struggle with homosexuality yourself, talk to them about it and try to correct them in their in their error you know let's try to get them to first of all if they're a christian and they accept the confines of the bible why are they trying to change it isn't that what you want because the reason why they're trying to change it is because they want salvation and they want their own life at the same time but if you love your life you're going to lose it but if you lose your life you're going to gain it that's the point is that you lose your life you lose your sinful nature. You lose who you are and become a new creation. You're not you anymore. You're dead. The Bible talks about um, when a sinners die and they go to hell. When unsaved people die and they go to hell. The Bible calls that a second death. Everybody gets one death. But sinners and people who are unsaved get two deaths. Because not only do they die um, 
the first time, but they also die against God and they go to hell. And we're trying to avoid that the most we can. That's that's our our main goal as CMA as Christians is to avoid. We're trying to go out there and we're trying to proselytize. We're trying to go out there and minister. We're trying to go out there and be an evangelical minister. Our our focus is motorcycles, but not um, not only you know. And so we go out there and we we do the best we can with the people that we live with, you know, but we got the motorcycle thing down. We've got that down really good. But the most important thing is to also, um, <clears throat> the most important thing is also to have the Christian Bible side down really good too. So anyway, this has been my commentary on Genesis nine. I uh, will see you tomorrow when we pick up Genesis 10. I don't know if I'm gonna have commentary on it. I have it ready yet, <laughs> but when, when we get there, um, I'll see if, the Lord has something to share. If not, then we'll just carry on. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.